0: Hi, I'm David Hershkovitz, and you're listening to Light Culture, brought to you exclusively by Burb, where cannabis clothing and culture intersect. Based in Vancouver, Canada, Burb strives to build on the city's legacy of cannabis tolerance and its gift to the world, BC Bud. Follow us on Instagram at ShopBurb and subscribe to this podcast at shopburb.com forward slash lightculture. Everything Eugenio Garcia knows about cannabis he learned at Whole Foods. Well, sort of. What he learned about management, leases, and supply chains got him hired to do the same for a legal cannabis company in Montana. So go figure. I don't use the word visionary loosely, but I do feel comfortable using it to describe Eugenio, the founder and CEO of Cannabis Now!, the nation's number one cannabis news magazine. Launching a print magazine in the digital age doesn't sound like sound business, but Eugenio saw an opportunity and ran with it. As the industry goes from small to mega, Eugenio has kept pace with the changing times, extending his reach into both cyberspace and a chain of brick and mortar retail expressions called the Cannabis Now Wellness Experience. We're not raising money for his growing ambitions, he's helping others do the same. This industry, he advises, is full of loan sharks, shady deals, and people taking advantage of other people. So he tries to help out. Sitting on top of a media company, he can see the many facets of the multifaceted industry, where it's all going as he spins off enterprises from the mothership magazine, whether hosting a 48-hour activation at South by Southwest, or producing a short-form docu-series. Looking into his crystal ball, he sees the future of cannabis and wellness with CBD becoming 70% of the market as compared to THC, a basic reversal of how it is now. With cannabis, he says, the truth is changing every day. My guest today is Eugenio Garcia.
1: Welcome to New York. You live where right now? So, our business is based out of Berkeley, Berkeley. California, and we just opened an expansion office in Los Angeles. When
0: he says we, we're talking about Cannabis Now. Uh, Eugenio is the founder and currently CEO. Any other titles we should know about? Publisher?
1: Publisher, janitor. Janitor. That's good. I can relate to that. Everything in between.
0: And the story of how Eugenio started Cannabis Now is becoming kind of legendary in some circles. That starts at Whole Foods. Is that a good place to
1: start? That is a good place to start. I was at Whole Foods for the better part of 10 years, starting in 2005. And the idea of working for Whole Foods rather than going and getting my MBA post-political science degree was to learn what a Fortune 500 company felt like and how to connect to a mission-driven values enterprise. So while I was working at a Whole Foods in California, I actually walked across the street one day and there was a Barnes & Noble And in the Barnes & Noble, there was two weed magazines. There was a Weed World magazine, which is out of uh, Canada, and really talks more about genetics and international seed banks. And then there was High Times. And I looked through the High Times, and I said, wow, where is all the conversation about the medical emerging market, the health benefits, the entrepreneurism, the non-stoner dialogue? Why were you interested in those magazines
0: in the first place?
1: For me, being a political science graduate, I have a passion for what I call paradigm shifts in social consciousness, whether that it was the end of alcohol prohibition, you know, back in the day, or it's the Me Too movement of right now and everything in between Black Lives Matter. So there's moments in time where whole consciousness shifts happen and the laws and the politics have to have to follow suit. So back in about 2012, 2009 period, legalization of cannabis was happening all over the country, and uh, especially in Montana.
0: You were a smoker as well?
1: I've been aware of cannabis ever since I was a teenager. And throughout my life, I have enjoyed cannabis more from a therapeutic point of view. So never a heavy user, you might, or, or a stoner, or aficionado for that matter. However, I was aware and and had uh, access to high high grade cannabis throughout my life. And and I was a fan, never saw it as a business potential until it became legal, especially for medical purposes in, in the state of Montana, which is where I went to university. And I started to get into the industry from a consultant point of view, helping friends start their own dispensaries and how to understand the new regulations. At Whole Foods, I was a manager, so I understood basic concepts like hiring and firing and reading real estate contracts and creating job descriptions, real basic stuff. And, and in the infancy of the industry, at least in the Rocky Mountain region, there was a lot of passionate growers who were getting into the space but didn't really understand the black and whites of the business. So one of my family members was in the business, and I was actually staying at my girlfriend, who's now our CTO of the company, uh, her name is Anna Pittman. I was staying at her house uh, right around Ashbury in San Francisco, and I picked up a great publication called the West Coast Leaf. So it's a newspaper magazine, no longer available, but it was it was very popular journalism expression in, in the Bay Area back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. And I said, "Wow, this is amazing! Look at all this knowledge, and and look at this journalism." I need to bring this home to my family member who was growing legally under the, under the medical act of Montana. And I brought it to him and he said, holy smokes, there should be a medical journal for cannabis in the Rocky Mountain region. And so I, um, I went to my buddy Todd Heath, who was a designer that I went to college with. I brought him the West Coast Leaf, that was a newspaper, and I brought him a High Times, which was really sexy and glossy and had the nice pictures of weed, but the journalism just wasn't there anymore. And I said, hey, can, can you make a baby out of this? And uh, he said, you know what, with a little bit of cash to help me with the design work, I think I can do that. So I went to uh, my other buddy, uh, Chris Fanuzzi, and I said, hey, you know, maybe you can lend me $10,000 and we can start this medical journal. And, and we did. And we thought it was going great. We were getting advertisers and we were writing stories and and really proud of ourselves. And then Montana's laws are the only laws in the union that have legalized and then gone backwards on their laws. So we were in our second edition and Montana decided to roll back their medical program. We lost 95% of all of our advertisers overnight and virtually went out of business. So I was there in Berkeley, California, working for Whole Foods Market and this fledgling publication that I was really excited about was basically Toast. And I just had a moment where I said, you know what? I've invested a lot of time into this. I'm passionate about this. I think this is going to be the future of what I want to do in life. And I'm not going to let it die. I'm only 38, but I feel like I was a little bit younger and dumber back then. And, and you know, like, like Richard Branson says, fuck it, let's do it.
0: Were you hands-on as well? Were you like the editor assigning stories? Did you get involved in all aspects?
1: Everything from, from finding the photography online to finding writers to write the stories to coming up with writing concepts, the first six issues. And, and even even to today, I'm very hands-on in, in all aspects of the expression. But what's really interesting is when we were trying to put out our third magazine, we had lost all of our advertisers. And I said, okay, you, I remember going to Barnes & Noble and looking at the the high times back, you know, a year ago. And maybe we can get into Barnes & Noble, which was really like our four or five-year plan. But now we have to jump ahead. And we own a specialty foods company my family does called Montana Mex. My twin brother's a chef. His name is Eduardo Garcia. He runs a specialty foods company that we also co-founded.
0: So you have the entrepreneurialism in your the bug, family.
1: The bug, yeah. And um, I took a barcode off of one of our salsa containers. And I put the barcode on the magazine and I sent it to Barnes & Noble. And I said, hey, Barnes & Noble, this is the future journalistic voice of the legal cannabis space. We're about to print issue three. Do you want in on this? And they said, absolutely. Well, here's your first order. And you actually interviewed Steve D'Angelo recently. Correct, yes. So so Steve D'Angelo was one of the first big cannabis supporters of our magazine and, and very generously gave us an exclusive interview and we put him on the cover and it was during a time where he was doing a show called weed wars i don't know if you remember that on yes the, i do the discovery I channel so good show, yeah. he was he was a little bit out there in the cannabis community mm-hmm. and we put him on the cover and we gave away free advertisement and we funded the whole thing ourselves and we distributed it in Barnes & Noble. And then the people in the cannabis community responded because they were fans of Steve D'Angelo. And they're like, well, what's this new magazine? But it's ironic. A lot of the people who actually bought the magazine, in, in hindsight, actually thought he was Santana. So <laughs> with his braids, <laughs> he, looked, that's like, great. he looked like Santana. <laughs> so we sold a lot because people thought we had Santana on the cover. And then we sold a lot because he was like this emerging cannabis star. And, and then from, from then on, that was, that was issue three, and now we're in issue 38.
0: What is a concentrate culture?
1: The concentrate culture is the theme of this issue that you're looking at right now. And the idea is to show the readers and the community, the people that are reading it, that this uh, industry and community is not just about smoking joints. There is a lot of other forms of consumption, everywhere from edibles to topicals, which are lotions to ingestibles and also concentrate, which is a very uh, hyper-isolated form of consumption where you can take the the, the the pure THC, take out all of the biomass, and you're left with this pure concentrate that you can consume. And um, if you're not careful, you you can get pretty high.
0: You think this is the growing aspect of what's going on in the culture right now, the, the dabbing, the concentrate, is that the most... Vibrant part of the business?
1: You know, I think that it, it it is a very vibrant part of the business. And and what what one of our goals was with this book was to show the different nuances of this sub-industry. But actually I think one of the largest opportunities in the space right now is really the health and wellness aspect of the of the, the cannabis plant and specifically in the CBD and hemp space. Right now, there's more people buying cannabis for the, the THC value than anything else and, and either recreationally or adult use to get high or, or to relax or because they have lower back pain or they have headaches or they have insomnia. But now that the farm bill has been passed and, and virtually cannabis in the, in the sativa under 0.3% THC realm, aka hemp, is legal – that comes with it a a way more open environment that consumers can interact with with the plant, and that is in the CBD and hemp space. I, I, I predict that in the next ten to twenty years, seventy percent of every consumer dollar that is spent in the cannabis world will be on non THC products.
0: Like flip,
1: basically, from where we are now. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I, I, and I'm I'm thinking everything from concentrates that only have CBD in it, all the way to things like rope and clothing and and biofuel and food for animals and for people who have less access to protein, et cetera.
0: Going back for a minute to the magazine, what was your business plan like then? What did you expect you would be doing now? Ten years ago?
1: (laughs) Yes. Well, it's funny. I mean, as we sit here in New York City today, um, we just got done with the Cannabis World Congress and Expo at the Javits Center. And um, I've been taking meetings in the city, and we just opened a Cannabis Now retail expression in Beverly Hills.
0: Yeah, I want to hear all about that.
1: We're planning on opening 12 locations around the U.S., including here in New York. So back in 2009, sitting on the couch with with our partners, the idea was, was pretty simple. And, and although it seems like a long time ago and a totally different expression, it was actually pretty similar to still where we've come around, which was Let's create an editorial expression that is authentic and relevant and also digestible, which means that it's, it has entertainment value. It's easy to look at. It's enjoyable to, to consume. And that will be a great business. We will, we will be successful. But what it will also do is it will help us understand where we've been, where we are, and where the industry is going. And then we can all mm. we, can, we can parlay that with our own personal investments and with the opportunities of our brand partners and our investment partners. So what that means is, although we are a media company, what it brings is relationships that span all different subsectors of the industry, whether it is in um, production, or it's in cultivation, or it's in real estate, or it's in banking, or it's in product manufacturing, or it's in software, or, or social media. So there's all these different things happening in the industry that that if you're in one of the areas, you don't really talk to the other areas, and and it's hard to understand where it's all going. But since we are sitting on a media company, we have the 30,000-foot view of where everybody, like uh, if you think of like a flock of birds, if you're the one bird in the flock, it's hard to know where everyone's going. But if you're watching the flock move, you can see where everyone's going. And so that's led to some pretty interesting uh, opportunities for us. As so you're as saying now.
0: from the beginning, you saw this as kind of a resource to help you look at the entire picture of what was coming down. So you already had in mind that you would be doing something more than the magazine at some point.
1: Absolutely. And, and it was a uh, juvenile and very early, early days, as they say, where we thought that, yes, we can have this great media company. And at the same time, we can use it to understand where we should be investing and and having other opportunities. And and for many years, we kind of forgot about that as we were deep in the trenches of just putting out, as you know, putting out a a magazine is blood, sweat, and tears. Totally. And now that we've established some cred in the industry and some momentum with with our our ad partners – Now we are starting to open our eyes and say, okay, where do we go from here?
0: So what was the second thing that you did after the magazine that was kind of another business?
1: We had a print magazine before we even had a website. So it's come from a print magazine to a web platform that has daily journalism expression on it and content to video expressions. We're filming docu-series and short-form content to— For yourself? You distributed yourself? For ourselves and for our our brand partners— We just did a South by Southwest uh, 48-hour activation, which was a hemp and CBD education entertainment period of time. So for 48 hours, we saw 8,000 people in Austin, Texas. And we had music events at night and education during the day. So we have print, we have social media, we have over 4 million followers on our Facebook page. And then now we're getting into entertainment video content. And then the final frontier is brick-and-mortar stores, as well as an e-commerce platform that we can sell the products for our brand partners and help curate the highest quality community for people who are looking to, to buy cannabis.
0: So the most recent is
1: the stores. The, the most recent. And what are they called? We, we're calling them Cannabis Now. We're calling Straight up, that's it. Cannabis Now, uh, we're calling the... It's uh, a great name, by the way. You can't quite beat that. You know, I, w- I w- we're staying at the uh, Gramercy Park Hotel yeah. right here in, in Manhattan, and I was getting coffee this morning with, with my hoodie on. I got a hoodie that says Cannabis Now in the back, and this woman approached me. She must have been in her like mid-60s, very New York, well-dressed, affluent-looking, and well-put-together and she said excuse me the, you know uh, this hoodie is amazing you know it's just a white hoodie with a logo on it really but she said um, i'd love to get this for my husband for father's day oh sh- uh, where can control. i where can i buy it yeah right? so i said I go to cannabisnow.com and, and, but but the idea is that the word cannabis is a, has a strong energy that comes with it it's not quite as aggressive as marijuana which which we're not fans of because of the of the history of it but we believe that the word cannabis will be associated with health and wellness in the future and with and with living living that kind of lifestyle. So when we decided to do a store where we would sell the highest quality products, there was lots of different ideas. Should we call it, um, you know, the wellness market or the C- the CBD retail store or whatever it is? And we said, you know what? Let's stick with cannabis now because that's who we are, and and this is our wellness market. So it's the it's the cannabis now wellness experience is what we're calling it.
0: What will we find there? Tell me, what's the experience?
1: Well, right now, it's uh, it's 3,200 square feet on the corner of La Cienega and 3rd in Beverly Hills, Los Angeles, right there on the, on the corners in L.A. And when you walk in, you will see about 50 of the top brands in the CBD and cannabis hard goods space. So we don't sell any THC in the store. Uh, you will find vaporizers and bombs. Is that for licensing reasons or strategy? You know, it, it's a mix between... Number one and probably the biggest barrier is that getting licensing is is very expensive and very high competition. And there's lots of regulations around where you can have a dispensary and who can come into the dispensary. And, And oftentimes these dispensaries are forced into subpar locations where... It's a depressed area of, 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 you know, a city, and then there's armed guards, and there's bars on the windows. And what we really wanted was an environment where affluent shoppers could, could come in, get access to products that could help with their health and wellness in a boutique-like environment where they could bring their kids into and not feel like they're walking into a liquor store with a five-year-old. And so when you walk in today, it's well-lit. It's open air. There, there's art on the walls. There's over 50 brands of the top CBD and cannabis hard good companies, um, and you can come in. You can really learn about these products and how they how they can they can affect your life, and and what hard goods you can use if you if you're consuming THC at home. And so far, so good. Sales are are exceeding our expectation, oh, no. and and. <laughs> um, Actually, I'm here in New York talking with our partners about future expansion. So we have 12 locations that we have earmarked over the next two years to open in landmark locations. So the idea is to go to some of the biggest cities in the U.S., uh, Chicago, Boston, Miami, San Antonio, Texas, San Francisco, Seattle, Denver, et cetera, New York, and go into these cities and find the highest traffic, highest profile areas. One way of thinking about it is wherever there's an Apple store. Right. We, uh, we, everybody uses the Apple. We, we want to oh. open across the street. What about uh, and, 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 Whole Foods, man? Whole Foods, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Whole, Whole Foods is interesting. Their, their model is they will actually go into a depressed community. Oh, really? Open up, and they will raise the mm. real estate value of that entire area. Now, they actually try to get close to schools, actually. Universities is one of their strategies. Mm. So, they, they find a university, and they, they try to get within walking distance of a university. The idea is to, is to create these very specific stores where it's an experiential environment. It's, it's entertaining to be in, but you also can learn and buy things, but they're really like trophy positions. So we're not looking to open 10,000 small little stores in every mall in the country We're we're saying, Hey, let's have, let's have these major focuses in these, the heart of every single city. And that will allow people to come and touch and feel and educate.
0: Your job has changed quite a bit from uh, when you started. So now it has it's cost a lot of money to do what you're describing the real estate alone.
1: sure. we uh, we're definitely team players and are looking to team up with the best in class to grow. At some point in time, you you as a growing entrepreneur, can have a certain amount of financial success. And then after that is how do we affect the largest amount of people in the quickest amount of time? While still maintaining our quality, and in order to do that, you need to be capitalized.
0: So, how do you find that people say, everyone's throwing money at the cannabis business, there's so much potential growth"? Obviously, there is a lot of people well,
1: getting involved in, in in the cannabis space. It's 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 been a bit of the wild west in in terms of financing. There's a lot of loan sharks, there's a lot of shady deals, there's a lot of people taking advantage of other people, and then there's a lot of limited access to what we call legitimate capital, whether it's uh, really high reputable VC funds or investment banks that right now still can't touch the space because of the federal regulations. So you kind of have to navigate those waters. And if you are doing it by yourself, and, and I've learned this over the last 10 years, is uh, you have to have a really good sense for people in order to sniff out the bad deals. And luckily, I, I feel like I have that, so I've avoided some some bad deals. And, and now that we are doing much larger deals and it's hard just to feel somebody out, you can't really tell with a poker face if they're going to take advantage of you anymore when the, when the scale is so big. Finding partners um, who have that acumen and have that experience to team up with you is vital. We, we we had a phone call this morning about a multi-million dollar opportunity. And instead of just taking it by myself, I brought in one of our early investors who shadowed me, shadowed me on the phone call and was able to take his 50 years of experience and within five minutes, ask the two questions that allowed us to make the decision right then and there if we were going to do the deal, where historically that would have taken me weeks, if not months to figure out on my own.
0: And did you do it?
1: Time will tell. I mean, you know, we take, we take phone calls every week, and, and, and the idea is to, you know, not get burdened with the deals that won't happen and, and continue with the ones that have potential. Uh, this one definitely has potential. And this is going to be your job for a while, raising money. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean— um, You're going to miss the magazine game. I love being a part of the investment community. Uh, from the side of someone who is looking for capital, but because I'm so so aware of other businesses and and invest, so there's two communities. There's people who are looking for money, and there's people who are given money. And I've I've sat with over a hundred people that I've asked for money, and uh, some I didn't take because it wasn't the right fit. Some didn't want to give it to me because it was the right fit. But there's other opportunities where I can say, okay, here's an investor who maybe isn't keen for an early stage media. Uh, expression, But they really are interested in funding a dispensary that has a cultivation license and is in like a high profile area like Oakland, California, and they want to put a million dollars into that. And I can put that person in a room with the other person. And I might not personally benefit off that, but I'm helping to foster the growth of the community, and, and hopefully all that comes around in the end.
0: But also, are you even a media company anymore, or will you be a media company? It's a brick-and-mortar investment. It's a very different kind of person.
1: Sure. Because uh, yeah.
0: you have assets involved with that. You have real estate. You have leases.
1: Sure. And, and as, as you know, publishing is not what it was 10 years ago. It's not what it was 20 years ago. And in, whether you are Condé Nast or you're Hearst or you are Mr. Smith's pet magazine, you know that's independently owned in a regional area. There, the, the you are. It's no longer viable to have just a publishing or media business, and just almost like it's no longer valuable just to have a brick and mortar retail business. With the advent of technology, everything is coming together in this hyper ecosystem of entertainment. Value and and products and if you're not touching all of these different forms of 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 interaction in some in some form whether or not you whether you sell products or you sell a magazine you won't make it you know so when you when you look at products today almost every single product that I'm aware of that is successful guess what they have a blog they have an, a journalism voice they have social media they're doing video content so. Almost every successful brand has a media division either that they have in their own building or they are outsourcing to an agency. So what, what, what that looks like for me is now that we have this media company, this is the wind behind the sails of bringing the highest quality products to our, our community. And so okay. it's well, very much a hybrid. Right. And also interesting just looking back because, well, you know, a
0: few minutes ago, print was dead, it seems like you're doing pretty well here with your magazine. Brick and mortar is is dead or was dying as well. Right. Yet there seems to be a lot of life left in it at the same and, time. And
1: the life that the life that we're seeing in in brick and mortar is these landmark showrooms. Whether it's Levi or it's Timberland or it's Adidas, they're creating these jewel properties where people can come in and interact with their brand and not just think that they're coming to shop like at Walgreens. And those are the two expressions. You got the the Walgreens, the Targets, and the CVSs, which is very much of a transactional, available, quick access to what you want. And then there are the other brands that are creating these landmark opportunities where you they know that the majority of their sales are going to happen online but they need these physical expressions for people to be able to come in and touch and feel and it's it's the same it's the same with with our magazine what what i believe is that and this i learned this at whole foods market so whole foods was on the cutting edge of of the organic movement right so they basically defined the the organic shopper uh, with austin texas being their first location with john mackey and it came out of uh, an environment where people were buying processed foods with, with with high preservatives, frozen, shelf-stable, and, and that's what people thought, Microwaveable dinners. We, oh, efficient, and let's do this. And now, with the advent of organic, farm-to-table, uh, sustainable, people are coming back. They're, they're growing gardens. I was just out on Long Island with a friend last night. They have a whole garden in their backyard where they have herbs and salad, and, and, and they have goats. They just brought in goats for milk. So it's a consciousness shift. And, and what's happening with media – and with the digital space, I believe, is that people have rushed towards these phones. They've become addicted to the, the technology, which was the idea from, from the, the people who are making the phones. And now they're saying, whoa, this is aggressive. We're staring at our phones all day. We're, we're getting headaches because of all the light in our eyes. We can't sleep. And people are making the decision, the conscious decision to turn off their phones and get back to the physical. And that means picking up a print magazine and or walking into a store. So they still need the stimulation, but they're 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 making conscious decisions not to have it as a digital expression. And and I read an article just the other day where there's been more new specialty magazines produced in the last year than in the last 10 years. So so print might be dead when you think of it as like a newspaper or a New York Times, but specialty, high quality magazine, aka books are actually on the rise.
0: Yeah. No, I totally see that. The business model has died for the most part, the advertising, but the product is not. There's still a lot of interest. And in this particular category of cannabis, you can't really advertise this anywhere. It's a built-in for you to get your advertisers to come in there. I was also wondering about your store. Are you going to do events there and programming, or is it just going to be pure retail?
1: Absolutely, no, Um At least uh, 25 to 30% of this space is made specifically not only for delivery, so our idea is to create a safe environment where people can have THC delivered to them that's not their home or their workspace, which will allow a lot of people who don't want to walk into dispensaries to still, still access medicine. And it, it will also be an event space. So three or four times a week, we will open it up for brand launches, for community gatherings, for educational opportunities. And then during the weekends, we will actually open up the parking lot and have what you might call a, a farmer's market for the cannabis community. In L.A.? In Los Angeles, yeah.
0: So, you know, I don't think I'll be going too far to call you a visionary at this point because I just feel like— Generous. Well, I, you know, I wouldn't use that loosely in most cases, but I do feel like you have not only as far as what we've already talked about and how you've seen this in the beginning, but also what you're doing and continue to be doing because I see that you've already also made contingencies for when— this becomes more normal, and it's no longer such a experience that the market is going to kind of break up a little bit more, and you've started other magazines, right?
1: Right. So, our, our, our slogan is, the future of cannabis is happening now. And so, right now, in our portfolio, we have a number of different expressions. We have cannabis now. We have uh, Hemp Today Media, which also has multiple expressions, including North America's only hemp-focused magazine, which is distributed in Whole Foods Market. And we have Cannabis Aficionado, which is more of a lifestyle media outlet that allows us to talk about music and fashion and culture and not just focus heavily on cannabis. But a lot of the credit of of what you might call visionary really goes to the team that I work with. So many times we will write an article, and then a year later, we'll see it on every single outlet. And we're like, we we talked about that last year. Boom. There's a a visionary breeder named uh, Sherbinsky. Mario Shabinsky, have you heard of him? Yes, her? I have. Yes. So we did an article almost a year and a half, two years ago now, called the the Shabinsky sit down, and now he is everywhere. He's a global force in the breeding world. Didn't he open a store as well in L.A. like a yep. clothing line? That's right. That's right. So anyway, so the what, what's really fun about being involved with cannabis now is. Uh, having a little bit of a magical view into the future of the space, which is exciting.
0: Yeah, I could totally relate because at Paper, similarly, we were covering people before they became w- well-known or famous or celebrity. And then we would see articles coming out later. But eventually, other people just started covering that, what we had been covering exclusively. More interest went in that direction because they realized that that's where you know we should be looking at at this time. And inevitably, you know, that's a question for you as well. So what happens when I see the New York Times starting to write about it more often? I see the Washington Post and, uh, you know, Wall Street Journal. So everyone is starting to pay much, much more attention. Of course, it starts financially because of all the money involved. They're going to be taking some of the wind out of your sails. It'll be a little harder. How do you, how do you expect to respond to that?
1: So there's two ways that I look at it. Number one, from the from the micros, um, of course, you've heard of the magazine Cigar Aficionado, right? So Cigar Aficionado has been around for many moons, and the publisher has a few different expressions: Whiskey Advocate, Guitar, you know. So, but but the people that smoke cigars is very a niche niche type of reader. And he has been able to be their their bellwether and their voice for many years. So Cannabis Now, I really see as being that bellwether. Uh, Cannabis Now, the magazine, the website, it will have a certain amount of, of financial viability. And I think that will be very successful. But what it really will be will be what people can trust as the authority. Whether or not they're reading it in the New York Times whether or not they're reading it in, in Vogue or... Or in Refinery29 or, or wherever they're reading it, if Cannabis Now justifies it and speaks to it, hopefully that is what people can really use as, okay, if Cannabis Now backs it, we, we trust it. Much like people read The Economist right now, if you read it in The Economist, that, that's a lot of weight to that. And then and, and as long as we maintain that foundation... We're willing to invest in the platform, even if it's not our biggest revenue driver.
0: So you We'd, would run articles critical of the industry or
1: Absolutely, things. absolutely. I mean, we right now we have a mantra. We don't do attack pieces. We don't do negative pieces. We basically say, if, if we like you, we write about you. And and, and one, of the, one of the things that really differentiates cannabis now from almost any other media platform in the space, you cannot pay us to write about you. A lot of media these days, it's a quick pro quo or it's a black and white, you pay us and we'll write about you.
0: The authenticity and the believability of the magazine to me is critical right now, especially because as I look around at the media on the industry, various newsletters, websites and whatnot, Uh, It's very dubious, in my opinion, because a lot of it seems to be just advocating for the industry, you know, in the same way the Pentagon used to do studies that would confirm what they wanted you to believe, and so they would pay these companies to tell them what they wanted everyone else to believe, and it seems to be that that's kind of going on a lot in the industry, and it was very hard to find somebody to trust.
1: This industry is very, very challenging in the form that there's lots of different subcommunities. There's lots of misinformation, and 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 there's a lot of ignorance. And I don't I don't say that from a negative point of view, but it's kind of like um, when I look back at my high school education or or my middle school education, and we were taught history. Uh, you know, Columbus landed, cre- you know, discovered the Americas, and then you go read a People's History book and it's like whoa there was genocide going on and there was like crazy religious things going on and they don't teach you that in high school and and as social consciousness becomes more mature we not only have better access to science but we have better understanding of how how things impact us as as human beings and and, and as communities and with cannabis the truth is changing every day. Even if you, even if you're able to tap into outlets that really believe that they have the, the the marrow of truth, they could find out a week later that that was a complete illusion. And so, our job at Cannabis Now is when when we find out that something that we said as truth changes, that we're quick to say this is the new truth. And, but that may change as well. And, right? and, and hey, yeah, and that might change as well. So, so our job is to observe what is happening and create an environment where people can access that information in the best way possible. And when it changes, we are just as quick to change.
0: Yeah, because it's so hard right now to really know, for example, I have a dog, right, that gets hyper-excited sometimes, especially at night when we're all trying to sleep. Do you give it CBD? And do I give it CBD? I got some CBD. I gave the dog CBD, it, it didn't really work, you know, that well, but it was something to try, at least. We went to the vet who prescribed some some other thing that we bought there, but we asked him about CBD and he said, well, there's not enough studies right now. We don't really know yeah. whether it works or not. Yeah. But I believe that it's definitely worth a try. So now my, I'm you know, getting into arguments with my wife because she says, well, the vet says there's no studies and we don't really know. But I say, well, there's a million studies that say
1: it is well, here, helpful and and here's here's how, how i think about it first of all you know human beings and dogs for that matter have an endocannabinoid system and and the cannabis plant has cannabinoids and so by putting cannabinoids into our body we are doing something we are enhancing something that already exists and and the the question is not does cannabinoids positively affect us as human beings or pets? For that, I, My partner and I have a Pomeranian named Oliver. He's eight years old. He's, he's having some health issues. So we also give him CBD. So I know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. So I don't think it's so much a question of are cannabinoids or CBD harmful? The, the bigger question is where are they coming from? Who is producing them? And, mm-hmm. and, and how are they making them? Because that could affect the safety of the product. And that, that is a very challenging question and a very serious issue that the industry is trying to figure out. It's not a matter of, hey, can cannabis be good for you or bad for you? It's the way that it's made is that harmful for you.
0: Which also makes me think about this, uh, the underground market, the illegal market, which is still the biggest market, right, for cannabis, at least, or marijuana, or what do you want to call it, grass or weed? Uh, refer. <laughs> but just to refer, you know, to separate it from the CBD and hemp, you know, but just a pure cannabis product.
1: The black market is thriving. What is not thriving, I believe, is the criminal enterprise behind it. So so twenty years ago, whether it was mafia or it was it was criminal organizations or it was the cartels, there was a lot of violence going on around cannabis because cannabis was part of heroin, it was part of Coke, it was part of the the, the crack. Now cannabis is is "Quote unquote mainstream," so those criminal organizations don't as much have as much profit margin as they used to have. But what is still happening is the hyper local black markets, where people don't want to engage in the taxes or the extreme over overhead and regulation. They always say, why, why am I going to go spend five million, do a grow legally? And give most of that to the government that we don't even know where that money is going. Are they putting the money back into the communities where they're taxing it? Where where is it going? So they're saying, no, I'm going to spend $5 million and do a off-the-books. That's what they're calling it now. Off-the-books grow and not pay any taxes. And, And luckily, it's not aggressive, illegal cartel action anymore, but it's still money that's not coming back to the communities and and, and it's little security for the people. They can't buy insurance. There's a lot of problems with the black market still.
0: How do you feel about the craft weed movement? Do you think there's potential there for small farmers to kind of save the farms of America by creating a cash crop that could actually make some money and help these small farmers survive?
1: That's a good question. So uh, I was lucky enough to become aware and have a relationship with, uh, by by way of a family member, with Howard Schultz of Starbucks. And Howard Schultz, obviously, everyone knows who Starbucks is, and and it's the the
0: presidential is, candidate, uh,
1: potentially presidential <laughs> candidate. But but he he changed the way Americans uh, engage with coffee. He created the the coffee shop phenomenon and starbucks started as a one shop whole you know like a whole bean seller in seattle pike place market and and now with you know thousands of locations and 40,000 employees how do you hold on to that quality and culture is is really howard schultz's mantra for for years when he was ceo is how do we do that well, I'm not one of those people that say, oh, you know, big business is bad, corporations are bad. I think that it's, it's the cornerstone of America and, and, and how people can create wealth and security for their families and for their communities. But to your question, I think craft cannabis is going to be a huge part of the industry. I, I think there will be the Budweisers and the Constellation brands and the and the Marlboros and and the XYZ Canadian Corporation canopies that have billions of dollars, and, and, and that's a reality. It will turn into a commodity at some point. But there's going to be the Schwamis of this of this world. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with 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 Swami Select. No. So so Sh- Swami Select is a is a craft cannabis. Um, in Northern California, it's just him and his partner, and they grow a very, very small amount of cannabis in in the woods, and it's hand-trimmed and cultivated with compost, and there's goats running around the property, and they pray to their plants, and they do dancing under the moonlight, and it's a whole thing. And when they bring their cannabis to the market, they they command a very high price for it because... People feel the love when they smoke it, and they feel the positive energy, and it's it's a product that they can trust. I mean, Samuel Adams started the craft beer movement, and, and I think that cannabis is going to have many, many famous craft cultivators. Scherbinski is a really good example of that.
0: You mentioned, or I read somewhere, sort of tipping your hat to the tireless efforts of the original cannabis advocates who kept the culture Going during the dark times of prohibition, so how can we reach out to them? Is it possible to include them, and even uh, educate the public about what they have done? I don't know if if you spend much time, or if your magazine is interested in that at all.
1: Oh, absolutely! But I, the
0: history of the of the plant and the people who've helped nurture the, it.
1: the if you will, the Dennis Perones of, of of the space, and, and for me. It's not only the, it's the it's the historical cultivators who now we are standing on their genetic back, I think is is a real powerful thing to understand. where Where have all these plants come from? You know, originally they were low THC varietals coming from Mexico or coming from Africa. And how did they all end up in Northern California and these crazy breeders are, are were, you know created these these really like you know, land race strains that were just unbelievable. But for me, I actually think it's the political heroes that that really deserve the most. If you created a great strain and and it's a really really powerful or unique terpene profile or or plant, you know, I I'm like, hey, get into the game, brand your cannabis. You know, have a business, uh, marketing and, and branding. I mean, it's it's a free commerce enterprise. I don't want you sitting and crying on your farm about, you know, a big business taking over if you, if you don't want to compete in, in, you know, what this what is going on. You can still have a small business, but this is the reality of business. But it's the political warriors. That I think deserve the most support and recognition, the people that have gone to jail, the people that have been arrested, the people that have spent millions of dollars fighting for equality and for freedom, those are the guys that need to be, and women, the men and women that need to be taken care of, respected, and, and thanked for, for what they've done the last 30, 50 years.
0: So, and you're going to keep that in your magazine? Would you take a look at that and tell stories about those people and incorporate that into today's environment?
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and really, you know, that, that that is something that Ellen Holland and the, and the editorial team think about every issue. You know, who, who can we nod to? Who is, who is breaking down barriers today? And who is breaking down barriers yesterday? And how can we tell those stories? You refer to high times a few times. When you go back to publishing, it's not just publications like, high times it's also publications like playboy they broke down stigma and, and they freedom of speech just in general and, and even paper yeah. paper paper. Ma- paper magazine broke a lot of rules Hello. i was i wrote those stories <laughs> you know i yeah.
0: mean we did the pot is hot cover in 1992
1: <laughs> yeah and those publications, you know, prove that that freedom of speech is a very real thing and, and not to be messed with. Yeah, the alternative, you know,
0: media mostly uh, did that, and also the term cannabis culture comes up. We have an idea of what that used to mean from the '60s, '70s, stoners, and all those bands, the Grateful Dead, and whatever that goes back to that. Is there anything
1: equivalent today? For me, I think I, I think that the the term cannabis culture. It will become an antiquated expression and and it will be a reflection of a moment in time where people were seriously in danger of affecting their career, their safety, their social standing because they consumed cannabis. And the people who were a part of the cannabis culture were the people who didn't care. Going all the way back to like Jan- Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, people from, from the historical days to, to current people, whether they're athletes like Al Harrington, Ricky Williams, who are coming out and being like, hey, I used cannabis, like Matt Barnes. So those, those are the people who are saying, hey, I'm a part of the cannabis culture and I'm proud of it. However, where I think it's going to end up when the 18- to 28-year-olds become the 38- to 48-year-olds and they were born into it, I guess you could call them, I, I I go back to it's, it's going to be a culture of health and wellness. It's interesting. And, 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 and of holistic medicine and, and non, non-opioids, non-pharmaceutical lifestyle. And, and that's going to be paired with the people who are eating organic, who are, who are connected to the earth, who are connected to their communities and to their environment. And guess what? They're going to be connected to cannabis. I've
0: talked about this before, but it keeps coming up because New York is so behind the times currently with regard to all of this with legalization or any kind of normalization. You know, people don't typically get arrested for smoking a joint on the street anymore, but they could if a if cop wanted to.
1: Well, I, I actually believe that. We, we were filming a docu-series episode here in New York last year, and it would been two weeks since the, the police chief had actually done a formal internal memo to all the police officers saying, from now on, stop arresting people who are consuming in public. They, it's a it's not law, but it's it's. But been, they give them a ticket. I mean, they still do something if they
0: want to. Sure. Typically, they don't. But they're not handcuffing people. In they're not handcuffing, but it's still pretty embarrassing if somebody you know you get stopped by a police and you're sitting in the park and suddenly well, you have to deal. You know, it's like it's still stigma well, it, for it, the it, neighbors. And especially if, if you're <laughs> if
1: you're in the community and yeah. you're coming from the East Coast, West Coast, you're coming from Las exactly. Vegas, you got a bunch of joints in in your pocket, and you and you just came from an environment where it's totally socially legal. And then all of a sudden you're standing out in front of a hotel smoking a joint and a police officer walks up to you and says, hey, you know, that's not legal here. You're like, oh, wait, it's not legal here yet. What's going on? But I think actually, I think New York is the next big uh, opportunity coming. I think though, when it goes, it's going to go big. One of the expressions of cannabis now from a media perspective is if we're, we're starting to broker billboards, So we're starting to connect our clients with billboard access around the country in in Las Vegas and in California. And guess what? Here in Times Square. So pre-selling THC advertising in Times Square is something that we're very focused on so that when it is available. So you're going
0: to sell the brands that you work with, not for yourself,
1: not for the brands that we work with. So you're going to broker the space. That's Right. So, and help curate those advertising partners for the owners of the billboard. Because
0: we don't know what the advertising rules are going to be like because, right. like, in Vancouver and Canada, it's very different from California. You can't really advertise in the same way. That's right. So, you might get stuck with a lot of real estate, man.
1: We'll see. I mean, I mean you tell me. I mean, if we... If we have a, a billboard in Times Square and we want to take out an advertisement for ourselves as a, as a media outlet and we want to say Flo Kana is changing cannabis culture in America, as a quote by Cannabis Now, I think we're protected to do that.
0: We'll see. We'll see. Well, thank you very much, Eugenio Garcia. Thank you. For sitting and talking and telling me so much about what's going on with Cannabis Now. Appreciate you. Thank you. You've been listening to Light Culture, brought to you exclusively by Burb, where cannabis clothing and culture intersect. Please follow us on Instagram at ShopBurb and subscribe to this podcast at shopburb.com forward slash light culture, as well as iTunes and all the regular distribution platforms.